Thank you, sirs. It's perfect. It's totally appropriate spot for this. I just want to go ahead and invite everybody to a Zoom dinner at my house tonight. Uh, I will be eating dinner. My wife has made an incredible potato soup. You will just eat whatever you eat, and we'll eat dinner together. It's a great way to fellowship, break bread, okay? So be on the lookout for that invite. It'll probably go out on my personal Facebook page a little bit later today. <laughs> yeah, you think I'm playing watch. I'm going to put it up there, and some of you are going to try to zoom in. <laughs> I'm not playing. Good morning. Good morning. We're going to get into the word uh, this morning, but before we do, I want to speak to the guys in the room. So uh, we were supposed to have a, a men's ministry cornhole event this past Saturday, which was yesterday, and it rained pretty much all day Friday, and then it was 32 degrees, and I was like, you know what? I'm not standing out here in this. This is ridiculous. I'm not going to do it. Um, so we move, we're moving our cornhole event to the last Monday of this month, which is our normal AIM meeting time. So if you're a guy, we're going to start a little bit earlier, probably at 6 p.m., so what that means means is most of you will show up at 5.30, so it'll probably be 5.30 p.m. So uh, be on the lookout for that last Monday of this month. Now, um, let's stand and read with me as we get into the Word this morning. We're going to be reading out of the book of Matthew. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Lord God, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for waking us up this morning, keeping us in our right minds, Lord God. I ask that your uh, word um, would speak to us this morning, that you would speak to us uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that our hearts would be open to an encounter with you, Lord God, that we would be encouraged where we need encouragement. We would be convicted where we need conviction, Lord God, that you would have your way and do your work in this service. I pray that everything that is said, thought, and done this morning uh, would give glory to your son, Jesus Christ. Christ. Lord God, we thank you um, for all that you do and the blessings you give. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. So we are continuing on in our Kingdom Seekers series today. And we've spent several weeks discussing the passage known as the Beatitudes, which are a vital part of this larger discourse known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first of five major discourses in the book of Matthew, and Jesus expounds on the reality of discipleship lived in the presence and power of the kingdom of God in the context of the everyday world. Some interpreters have thought that the purpose of this sermon was to describe a moral standard so impossibly high that it's relevant only for a future kingdom. Other interpreters have thought that its primary purpose was to portray the absoluteness of God's moral perfection and thereby drive people to the despair of their own righteousness so that they will entrust the imputed 
righteousness of Christ. But what both of these views fail to recognize is that these teachings of Jesus in this sermon, if understood rightly, form a challenging but practical ethic that Jesus expects his followers to live by today. It may seem like a random collection of bullet points you would put on a daily calendar, but this is, in fact, a thought-out sermon with different sections and different parts. Let's look at the four sections. I'm gonna, I've, we've broken it down. If you look at this sermon, you can break it down into four sections. The first are the characteristics of the kingdom of God. These are the Beatitudes. We spent several weeks going over this. These are the characteristics of the kingdom. Now we move into the functionality of the kingdom, how we walk this out in our everyday lives. And still to come, we have the standards of the kingdom and finally, the attitudes of the kingdom. These are the four components of the Sermon on the Mount. And today, we're going to look at the functionality, how we walk this out. In his Beatitudes, Jesus makes pronouncements to the crowd and religious leaders and he gives instructions to his disciples concerning the nature and characteristics of the kingdom. He follows this with two piercing metaphors on salt and light to illustrate the impact his disciples will have. The first of these metaphors is salt. Look at Matthew chapter 13, the first part of this verse. Now, just to set the scene, there's thousands of people. They're all sat down on a mountainside. And I actually use the Sermon on the Mount in my own life. Whenever my wife or somebody else says, you are so loud. I'm like, Jesus was loud. He preached a sermon on the side of a mountain to 5,000 people with no PA system. Either there was something supernatural going on that the people way in the back heard everything, they were super tight, or Jesus had to raise his voice a couple of times. And I like to say that I can, you know, sympathize with Jesus. I'm a loud person. So everybody has sat down. He's gone through the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are you when people persecute you. Blessed are you when this. He's laid all this out to them. And then the first thing he tells them about how to walk it out is you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. When I hear this today, I don't know that it has the same impact that it would have for first century hearers. There's so many types and versions of salt in our modern day world that this metaphor's importance often goes unnoticed. Think about all of the types of salt that we have available to us, right? I think of a few that come to mind. Kosher salt, right, for all you chefs out there. Uh, flaky salt. You seen this meme right here? <laughs> that's, that's flaky salt. You don't do that with iodized salt. You'll make a mess everywhere. Uh, speaking of iodized salt, table salt, sea salt, pink salt, right? Some of y'all take the pink salt baths, right? Um, black salt. Did you know that was a thing? Didn't know that. Black salt, rock salt, curing salt, pretzel salt, popcorn salt, Pool salt, right, James? Where are you at? There you go, pool salt. Um, canning salt for all the nanas in the room. It's a different type of salt. <laughs> I'm serious, right? So when you hear you're the salt of the earth, you're like, yeah, 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 salt of the earth. Cool. 
But to these people, salt was a completely different thing. And Jesus reveals to these people insights into the kingdom. And the first thing he tells them about how to operate in the kingdom is you are the salt of the earth. So because this may be lost on us, I want you guys to take a road trip with me. And I'm going to give you a brief history of salt. This is from Time Magazine, March 15th, 1982, by the way. Salt comes from the dead, dried up seas or living ones. It can bubble to the surface as brine or crop out in the form of salt licks and shallow caverns. Below the skin of the earth, it lies in white veins, some of them thousands of feet deep. It can be evaporated from salt pans, boiled down from brine, or mined as it often is today from shafts extending half a mile below the surface. The history of the world according to salt is simple. Animals wore past the salt licks, men followed. Trails became roads and settlements grew beside them. When the human menu shifted from salt-rich game to cereal, more salt was needed to supplement the diet. But the underground deposits were beyond reach and the salt sprinkled over the surface of the earth was insufficient. Scarcity kept this mineral precious. As civilization spread, salt became one of the world's principal trading commodities. Salt routes crisscrossed the globe. One of the most traveled led from Morocco south across the Sahara to Timbuktu. That's literally a place. I, I, growing up, I'm from here to Timbuktu. I'm like, you're just making up stuff now. It's a real place. Ships bearing salt from Egypt to Greece traversed the Mediterranean and the Aegean. Herodotus describes a caravan route that united the salt oases of the Libyan desert. Venice's glittering wealth was attributable not so much to exotic spices as to commonplace salt. The Venetians exchanged in Constantinople for the spices of Asia. In 1295, when he first returned from Cathay, Marco Polo delighted the Dodge with tales of the presiduous value of salt coins bearing the seal of the great Khan. As early as the 6th century sub-Sahara, Moorish merchants routinely traded salt ounce for ounce with gold. In Abyssinia, slabs of rock salt called amoles became coin of the realm. Each one was about 10 inches long and 2 inches thick. Cakes of salt were also used as money in other areas of Central Africa. Not only did salt serve to flavor and preserve food, it made a good antiseptic which is why the Roman word for salubrious crystals, sal, is a first cousin to Salus, the goddess of health. Of all the roads that led to Rome, one of the busiest was the Via Salaria, the salt route over which Roman soldiers marched and merchants drove ox carts full of the precious crystals from the Tiber, from the salt pans at Ostia. A soldier's pay... A soldier's pay consisting in part of salt came to be known as salarium argentum, from which we derive the word salary. A soldier's salary was cut if he was not worth his salt. A phrase that came into being because the Greeks and Romans often bought slaves with salt. 
salt. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. Leviticus 2.13. Because of its use as a preservative, salt became a token of permanence to the Jews of the Old Testament. Its use in Hebrew sacrifices as a meat purifier came to signify the eternal covenant between God and Israel. In one biblical case, salt symbolized a lack of fidelity. In Genesis 19, 1 through 29, two angels of the Lord commanded Lot, his wife, and two daughters to flee the sinful city of Sodom without ever looking back. When Lot's wife cast a fleeting glance backward, her faith was uncertain. She was immediately transformed into a pillar of salt. In the Christian catechism, salt is still a metaphor for the grace and wisdom of Christ. When Matthew says, you are the salt of the earth, he is addressing the blessed, the worthy sheep of the flock, not the erring goats. During the Middle Ages, the ancient sanctity of salt slid towards superstition. The spilling of salt was considered ominous, a portent of doom. In Leonardo da Vinci's painting of The Last Supper, the scowling Judas is shown, shown with an overturned salt cellar in front of him. After spilling the salt, the spiller had to cast a pinch of it over his left shoulder because the left side was thought to be sinister, a place where evil spirits tend to congregate. The social symbolism of salt was painfully evident in the medieval equivalents of the Amy Vanderbilt Complete Book of Etiquette. As late as the 18th century, the rank of guests at a banquet was gauged by where they sat in relation to an often elaborate silver salt cellar on the table. The host and distinguished guests sat at the head of the table above the salt People who sat below the salt, furthest from the host, were of little consequence. Salt taxes variously solidified or helped dissolve the power of governments. For centuries, the French people were forced to buy all of their salt from royal depots. The gabelle or salt tax was so high during the reign of Louis XVI that it became a major grievance and eventually helped ignite the French Revolution. Over salt, they overthrew the government. As late as 1930, in protest against the high British tax on salt in India, Mahatma Gandhi led a mass pilgrimage of his followers to the seaside to make their own salt. If the importance of a food to a society can be measured by the allusions to it in language and literature, then the significance of salt is virtually unrivaled. Nearly four pages of the Oxford English Dictionary are taken up by references to salt more than any other food. A grain of salt may be a recipe for skepticism, but there can no, be no doubt about how salt has seasoned our history. When we understand the completeness of salt's history in our world, then we can understand when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, what he means is we are one of the most precious and valuable resources to the kingdom. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, what he's really saying is, you are vital for the physical and spiritual health of the planet. 
You are important. You are valuable. These people, think about this. They were oppressed by Romans. They were often looked down on by the Pharisees. And Jesus is saying, I know what your situation may feel like, but you have value and importance. You have value and importance. Before he gave them any type of instruction on what to do, how to live, what to think, what to say, Jesus spoke to their identity. This is who you are. You are the salt of the earth. Do you feel like it sometimes? No, this is who you are. God does an amazing job at reminding us of who we are, not about just what we've done or failed to do. God's people are vital to the physical and spiritual health of the planet. Now, Jesus' revelation about our identity is not without precaution and warning. Let's look at verse 13, part B. But, this is one of those conjunctions, okay? Uh, I reminded everybody uh, in first service, early gathering, that uh, I wanted to make sure it was a conjunction to make my mother proud because my mother's an English major. Turns out she's actually not an English major. Um, She mentioned that to us one time at dinner. She said, she corrected me on something I said. And she said, remember, I'm an English major. I said, you didn't go to college, mom. She said, I know, but had I went, I would have been an English major. So from, from that point forward, we don't question mom. We, if she corrects your grammar, if my mom gives you any type of tips or tricks, she's like, yes, ma'am, knowing she would have been an English major, and, she, and she's still right, okay? So but is one of those conjunctions where everything that's gone before that, you can almost erase or negate. For example, dude, I love those pants, but... <laughs> You forgot everything that came before. I give you an amazing compliment. And some of you guys do that compliment sandwich. You're like, man, I love that shirt. Hey, man, it's probably a little bit too tight for you, man. But it's a great color. And you're like, did you just build me up to break me down and build me back up again? Right? But it's one of those words that kind of does this to us. Jesus is like, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste how shall its saltiness be restored then he goes on to say it's good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot the same type of stuff that they put on our roads right that's thrown out and trampled under your foot you're not going to put road salt on your baked potato are you if you're a psychopath maybe but That's not what you're going to do because that's not what that salt is intended for. And what Jesus is saying, hey, you're the salt of the earth. But if you lose your saltiness, you're not being able to be used for which you were intended. That which you were intended to be used. But now, this is what messes me up because I know that God just doesn't cast me away or throw me away if I miss it, if I miss the mark. We know that, right? The Word tells us a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. He will slowly fan it into flame. So, so what's he trying to say to us? Well, keep reading. That's why you can't cherry pick. You've got to keep reading. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. That's that's a declarative statement. That is a statement. This is not up for debate. You are the salt of the earth, period. Then he gives a a but. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, period. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Have you ever been somewhere really dark, like super dark? And it can be literally 
or figuratively. I think we've all, if we've all come to Christ, we've been in some dark places, right? I remember uh, two, two things stick out in my mind specifically. Um, many, many, many moons ago, Pastor Kevin was the leader of the young adults group here, and um, we were going on a young adult retreat, and Kevin hyped us up with these mysterious, um, um, ominous instruction. Kurt knows. He said, hey, guys, we're going somewhere, and I'm not telling you what it is, but just remember, it's going to be, you're going to get about a level 10 dirty. Level 10, right? And his plan was we were going to go to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky, and they had one of the tours where you would have to go spelunking, and you would be crawling on your belly and wading waist-deep through mud. Then, right, And he had this plan for us, right? Some friend and leader to sneak that in on somebody. You're going on a retreat, and he was like, hey, you're going to be neck-deep in mud in a cave in Kentucky somewhere. Fun times, right? It's how you bond and grow, right? We get there by the grace of God. He's always watching out for us. That portion of the tour was closed, and they didn't offer that because God had our backs, right? (laughs) But Kevin had hyped it up as level 10 dirty, right? And then we got maybe level one slightly dusty on our shoes because we're walking through the tour, right? So to this day, we're like, is it level 10 dirty? I mean, how, what level are we on? But in this cave, man, it was so dark. It was so beautiful. And they had like little cafe lights hanging up so that you could see the stalactites and the stalagmites and and all the beauty of this underground cavern and everything. But then you're on this tour with these two tour guides. And uh, one of the ladies was a complete ninja. There's no way around it. Because when you move on, right, what respectful people do is they turn the lights off when they leave the room. I'm going to need somebody to go tell this to the kids in the kids' ministry. When they leave the room, they turn the lights off. As we would go to a different part of the tour, all the lights would go down. And you wouldn't be able to see anything. It was so dark inside of this cave. But then all of a sudden, 15 feet ahead of us, lights would come on. And it's the lady who stayed behind to cut the lights off has somehow made her way through the dark to turn the lights on ahead of us. So dark in this cave. So dark in this cave. But even more so that sticks out in my mind is when I went to Montana, I was in a weird season in my life. I was in a dark season in my life. You guys have heard me share part of my testimony before about how I had a, I had a relapse in like 2015. But before that, everything came out and everything fell apart. I was still hiding that from everybody. I was still coming to church, putting on a smile, right? And my light was growing dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And the darkness was getting closer and closer and closer inside. Even though I projected light and I projected like everything was okay. And me and six other guys, seven other guys, um, went with Pastor Bruce Coble to um, to Red Lodge, Montana for one week to study a book on humility. Right? That's a recipe for disaster right there. <laughs> but I remember before I left, and this is maybe three months before everything came out, my world came crashing down. I didn't know if I was going to be married anymore. Like everything was just in turmoil inside of me. And I remember my wife was so mad and she said, God told me to send you this Bible verse and I didn't want to send it to you. I didn't even look it up. Here it is. And I was like, cool, right? She was so mad at me. 
But the verse was that she didn't look up was out of Genesis, and it was the story of Jacob, and the, the passage was how Jacob was about to be confronted by his brother Esau, who he had wronged, and the passage says he sent his wives and his livestock and everything on over, and then Jacob was left alone, and there he wrestled with God. And I was surrounded by people, and I was so alone. And out there in the mountains of Montana, it was so dark at night. The lights from the city did not penetrate. You couldn't see the city lights. There were no street lights. And I wrestled with God in that moment. And I look up, and it was like a planetarium. There were so many stars, so many stars. It was so dark on so many levels. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Did you realize, do you realize you cannot add darkness to light? You cannot add darkness to light, and it become dark. You just have to remove the light for it to dim. But you can definitely add light to darkness. Jesus gives us a, a clue to understanding what he means as he continues on. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What Jesus is trying to tell us about salt and light is that our works give glory to God. The things that we do give glory to God. Let me be clear about something. Our works do not justify, they do not vindicate, and they do not put us in right standing with God. You're not going to work your way into the kingdom. Jesus started this by saying, here's who you are, here's what this means. He didn't say, here's what you do, and here's what you'll get. However, we cannot claim to be people of faith without the accompanying works for the kingdom. Let's look at James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. Early service, I told him chapter 1. And I started reading. I was like, this is not what we're supposed to be reading right now. But they're so gracious, they put it up there. Chapter 2, verse 14. This is out of the book of James. It says, what good is it, my brothers or sisters, what good is it? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and you say to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It is dead. I had a situation this past week. I'm studying this verse. I just read this verse, right? And I had somebody, they, they needed a tool that I had sitting on my shelf that was super dusty. I had already upgraded. He's like, can I buy that from you for less than retail price? I'm like, sure, you know, because it's used. So he gave me $100, right? And I was like, yeah, I got $100. And uh, so later on that night, um, 
I saw a friend of mine. He's not really a friend. I don't know how I know this guy. I met him on a video game that I don't play anymore. And then we just stay connected somehow. And he's in Canada. And we talk about fitness and like weightlifting and stuff. Like, he's my friend, but I don't know the guy. He lives in Canada, right? Never met him. We've never done a Zoom dinner before. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he posted on Facebook. He was like, Hey, can anybody let me borrow $20? I was like, Facebook? It's like, this is where we're going for a request? So I, I sent him a message, and I was like, hey, man, did you get hacked, or did you really ask for $20 on Facebook? Like, like public, like $20, right? <laughs> I mean, I didn't know if it was a pyramid scheme. You give me, everybody give me 20 and then I got 3000 but he messaged me back. And he was like, yeah, man, some weird things happened with my work, and they shorted me 16 hours on my check, and I'm just really in a spot. He didn't ask me for money. He asked all of his Facebook friends for money. So I was like, man, I felt like God was saying, you should probably give him that $100 that you didn't know you was going to get. So I was like, all right, well, I got to talk to Jess about this, right? I got to talk to my wife. So I came inside, and because of my history with money, any cash I got, I give to her, and then we run everything through the bank account. Just safer that way, right? You ain't got to worry about it. You get a statement. This is what I bought everywhere. So, um, and I, let me say something about this. When you have broken trust, you can't put a time frame on somebody else's healing. When you broke somebody's trust, you can't put a time frame on their healing. I didn't have a debit card in my pocket for 14 months. I had people say, dude, you're a grown man. I was like, yeah, and, and I hurt my wife, and I'm going to do whatever it takes for however long it takes until she reaches the healing she needs. You can't put a time frame on somebody else's healing. I digress. I just want to say that. Okay, because it's not about it's not about me being submissive or my wife being in a different role that she shouldn't be in. It's a it's about humility, a posture of humility and understanding your weaknesses so that the enemy doesn't gain foothold in our lives. That's not in the notes. <laughs> so now I have to go convince my wife why we need to get this guy a hundred dollars. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're still in the store. So, uh, so I was like, I go inside and I was like, it's like nine o'clock. And I was like, hey, do you want the explanation first before the ask? Should I give you the background first and then the ask or give you the ask and then fill you in on the background? She was like, just start talking. So I was like, so there's this guy and I met him like two years ago and he's in Canada. He was in a really dark spot in his life and I've been kind of working to him. I've been sending him sermons. I've been trying to tell him about the love of Jesus and we talk about this and that. She's like, what do you want? I was like, well, he was asking for money on Facebook. He didn't ask me for money, but I feel like we should give him the money. I was like, I don't know, maybe like 50 bucks. She was like, but see, somebody gave me $100. She said, where'd you get $100? I was like, well, so-and-so. She said, well, so-and-so can't just be coming by your shop buying your old tools and stuff. I was like, that's a separate point. <laughs> <laughs> right? And if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Right? We're not talking about that right now. That's not what we're talking about. So, so... So I was like, she was like, just give him the $100. And I had spit out 50 because I was scared, right? That I, that I wanted. And she was like, just give him the $100. i am like, thank you, God, for not letting me have, be halfway obedient, right? Let my wife help me out in my full obedience to you, God, right? And she's like, just give him the 100 And so then as I'm trying to sign up for PayPal, because Canada is weird and don't have Venmo, and um, 
So I'm signing up for PayPal and I'm telling her, you know, I was just reading this week about how if we see somebody in need and they have a need and we are able to meet that need and we don't do that, then what good is our faith? And as I'm typing this, somebody sends me a message. Hey, bro, I ran out of gas. Come bring me a gallon of gas. And I was like, are you serious? Like, like in my piety over here trying to be all self-righteous about helping this guy in Canada that I've never met. And somebody I know five miles away is like, hey, bro, bring me a gallon of gas. I'm like, it's 9.30. I got to get up in the morning. Guess what, dude? I, I went happily to the shop and got that gallon of gas. And I was just walking around like, I'm the salt of the earth right now. I am <laughs> the light of the world in this mug. You know what I'm saying? I felt good, right? Especially because the exchange rate in Canada is so dope. It was like $130 that he got for that $100. He was like, man, I was just asking for 20. I was like, no, you know what, man? Just trying to do what God's asking me to do. You know what I mean? Just trying to walk it out, man. here's Here's what I'm trying to say. Our works give legs to our faith. Our works give legs to our faith. God has given us dominion and authority as well as the responsibility to steward the earth. I know this place is passing away, but just because I'm going to pass away someday don't mean I just let, don't, don't take care of myself. You get up, you take showers, you put on nice clothes, you feed your body, you feed your spirit, you do devotionals, you pray. You cut the grass or pay somebody to cut it or or rent goats, but either way, the grass gets cut. Am I right? God told us to take care of this planet. Take care of this. If Jimmy needs help, not Jimmy, Jimmy, but if just, if somebody needs help, we help them even even if it's inconvenience because newsflash, helping other people is rarely convenient. When's the last time you've been like, hey, brother, I'm on the way to Orlando, too. Just hop in and let's ride, right? You can sit between my five and seven-year-old. You might be out in two exits, but uh, I'll get you further than you were. Most of the time, helping people, you got to go out of your way to do it. But oftentimes, you don't have to go out of your way to do it. You just feel inconvenienced. I had, look, y'all know my dogs, right? I've told you about my dogs tearing up stuff in the hallway and I went to get something to drink and I saw the foam and I, I walked past I was like, I ain't picking it up. I'm going to leave it for my wife. <laughs> it's a great, right? Y'all heard me tell that story. If you hadn't, you got to go back in the archives and find it. Anyway, my dogs are crazy. I don't even know why I have dogs, right? I guess because of the unconditional love that they provide, right? I had a dog. She'd been sick to her stomach, right? Middle of the night, four o'clock in the morning, like two nights ago. Jessica's like, oh, no, 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 no. She has an accident. And I swear, I laid there and was like, I'm going to act like I'm still asleep. <laughs> and I swear, just as I'm telling you, I, told, I said I was going to act like I'm asleep. I heard the Holy Spirit say, we're going to do this right now? We're going to do this? It's almost like when, you get, when your kids are acting bad in public, you're like, is this what we're doing right now? Is this what we're going to do? We're going to do that. If you're going to go, I'm going to go. Better get your butt up. What you mean you're going to act like you're still asleep? Guess what? Last night, 4 o'clock in the morning, no, 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 no. I just turned on the lamp, got right up. I ain't messing around. I did. I'm not playing. Right? Because it's usually inconvenient. Jesus, if you don't know where to start with good works, if you don't know where to start, Jesus gives us a clue where to start. Okay? I still got time. Good. 
He gives us an important clue where to start with our good works. Let's look at back at verse 15. Let's backtrack a little bit. He says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. The people of that day didn't have a bunch of incandescent LED bulbs that are left on all the time in the house, right? They would light a lamp, and they would put it on a stand, and it would give light to the whole house. It would shine throughout the whole house, right? Giving light to the house, this starts in the home. When Jesus gave the commission to the disciples to go and make disciples, where did he tell them? Go as far and as fast away as you can to start. No. He said, start right here in Judea and Samaria and then the uttermost, part, uttermost parts of the earth. He said, let's do it local, regional, then global. Local, regional, then global. This starts in the home, right? I love being able to tell stories about my mess-ups in relation to my wife. Um, I had the situation happen a couple of weeks ago with my wife. I want to I paint this picture for you guys, okay? I forgot to pack enough snacks for work, so I ran out of snacks, and I was a little bit hungry. And so for the last two hours, I was thinking about what I was going to eat when I got home. I had this big plan. I was going to go make this big bowl of oatmeal, and I was going to put a bunch of protein powder in it and some chocolate chips and peanut butter. And I'm thinking about it. The last two hours, I'm like Homer Simpson just thinking about this oatmeal. And so I, I, go, I go home, right? And I've been home five minutes, and four of those were spent mixing up this oatmeal, right? And so then I got... I'm, I pull my, my, the microwaves here. I pull the oatmeal out of the microwave in this scalding hot bowl, and I set it right here on the counter. The stove is right here, okay? I want you to picture this. I'm right here. The stove is right here. And on the stove is a pot of boiling water that my wife has got ready. She's making dinner for the kids. And she's rushing back and forth. She's, she's making dinner. Uh, she's making dinner for everybody. And she's helping kids with homework. And she's going back and forth and doing this, right? And I am right here. And here's the stove. And she comes over and she dumps a whole box of pasta in this boiling pot of water. And then puts a lid on it and walks off. Have you ever put a lid on a pot of boiling water? Has anybody ever seen that? <laughs> it just, it th within four seconds, this thing is like a volcano, right? <laughs> it's shaking, and that lid is starting to come, and I'm like, it's going to be bad, right? But here's me, look, wife in there, homework, stove, pot, boiling water, box of pasta with a lid on, me and my oatmeal, Right? <laughs> This is exactly what I said to her. Y'all ready for this? Hey, babe, you finna make a mess. <laughs> she comes rushing back over there, takes the lid off. I'm standing right here. She's standing right here. She said, you couldn't help me? You couldn't help me? You were standing right there. You didn't even think to help me. So many times, 
When I neglect to do the right thing, when I neglect to do good works, it's not because I got an evil heart or I'm, or I'm not looking for it. It's because I'm so focused on me and my needs that I miss the simple needs of somebody else. My wife just, she's like, do you know that I'm, I've had a rough homeschool day with Noah and I'm trying to help this kid get caught up with raising our own and somebody else's and you're standing right there and you can't even take the lid off of the pot of water? You don't light a lamp and put a basket over it. You put it on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. It starts in our home. It starts right where we're at. God, not only does Jesus reveal to us in perfect love the amazing truth about our identity and function, but he also gives us correction that I need that puts us in our place. My plans, my calendar, my agenda leave no room for the inconveniences of other people. That was an inconvenience to me because I was so focused on getting my stupid oatmeal that I didn't see the opportunity to help and be light right there. And you want to take it a step further? When will we get to the point that we stop pointing out that somebody else is about to make a mess and we just take the lid off and not have to tell them that we covered a mess? God, I want to be in that place where I'm covering people without having to tell them, hey, man, I got your back. You were about to screw this up, dude. But luckily, I was standing there eating oatmeal. <laughs> Think about how dumb that sounds when you cover somebody and then give yourself the credit. That's exactly how dumb it sounds. Hey, you were going to screw this up, but luckily for you, I was eating oats <laughs> in the right place to cover you. Be more, be more aware next time. That's exactly how dumb it sounds when we try to take the credit. Because what did that verse say? People see your good works and pat you on the back. No! It said people see your good works and they glorify God. He said this is who you are. This is what you do. The little things. You take the pot off. You don't tell everybody how you covered them. You pick up the piece of trash out of the parking lot on the way because it's our responsibility to steward the earth. And we don't have to tell everybody about it. Be salt. Be light. Because this is what gives God glory. He says, you want to know how the kingdom works? You want to know how you walk it out? Just do the right thing, the next right thing. See a need, fill a need. If it all sounds like, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this sometimes. I mess up. I, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about myself sometimes too. I'm going to give you three pieces of practical advice on how you can be salt and light in the world today. You ready? Number one, do what you can. I don't have the ability to send thousands of dollars to different places. But I got the ability to foster kids. I got the ability to take the lid off the pot. Do what you can. Use what you got. And start where you're at. The beautiful thing about the gospel is you ain't got to get cleaned up to come to him. You come to him, he cleans you up. You ain't got to start doing good works so that then you'll glorify God. He, he changes you and good works just begin to flow out of you. You have a different perspective when you come into the kingdom. When you understand blessed are you in this, blessed are you, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who th hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. When this begins to permeate your thinking and your psyche, 
been doing the right thing, then taking the lid off the pot just becomes a part of what we do. We don't think about it. Do what you can. Use what you got and start where you're at. If I could get those that are going to come pray with people this morning, if you could come down here, elders and those that are going to pray. You know, if you're, maybe you're, maybe you're like me and you, you get hung up on if, if I've lost my saltiness, how can that be restored, right? That verse is just stuck with me. And I'm like, how can it be restored? Here's the, here's the harsh reality. It can't. We got to have new salt, fresh wind, new wine for our wineskins, but they can't be the same self-centered wineskins. Jesus called and commissioned the church to participate in his mission to redeem and restore all of creation. So if this morning you find yourself like me and you got to repent because you've been too self-centered to see the needs of others, then the altar's open for you. Or you ain't even got to come down here. You can do it right where you're at. That's the beauty of the kingdom. You can talk to God right where you're at. But maybe you're like me. You don't see the needs in front of you because you're so focused on your, what you want. Or maybe God spoke to you about something completely different. Maybe you come in here and the God of the universe is like, yeah, yeah, I know what he's talking about, but I want to deal with you about this because you've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And now you're in Montana wrestling with God. Then the altar's open. If you have a prayer need, if you need healing, if you just need somebody to stand in agreement, if you need to come down here and just cry your eyes out for some reason, then come. And for those of you that are walking this out, bless you. Pray for your brothers. Encourage your brothers and sisters. And worship with us this morning. And remember, do what you can. Use what you got. Start where you're at. Let's worship.